0: Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the second section of our conversation with Laurent Guddens about the technicalities of Bobo Kobo. Bobo Kobo are the acronyms standing for payments on behalf of and collections on behalf of. Laurent was a manager in the treasury practice of a big four consulting firm and is now the global treasury leader at Punch Powertrain. Needless to say that he is a seasoned treasury professional with a tremendous amount of knowledge, in particular when it comes to in-house banks, treasury systems and Pobo Kobo. In the episode of today, expect to learn the nitty-gritty details of Pobo Kobo, what are the restrictions treasurers need to bear in mind when it comes to Pobo Kobo, especially in terms of regulation and tax restrictions, what are the quantitative benefits of having such a structure in place, what the role of fintechs will be in the world of in-house banks and Pobo Kobo, and much, much more. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcast app. This is the best way to support us. It is completely free, takes only two seconds, and makes Hussam and I very happy indeed. Last note before diving into our fascinating conversation with Laurent, we are now on LinkedIn. If you would like to reach out, suggest a topic, ask a question, or simply say hi, we will be happy to have you. Just look for Corporate Treasury 101, that will be us. With all that being said, please welcome Laurent Gurnance. Maybe now entering in technicalities of it. Pobo Kobo be set up regionally or could it be or can it be worldwide? How does it work exactly in terms of region you can cover? It
1: depends a bit on the, the structure of the, the corporate. It can be worldwide, but it can also okay. be regionally. And it, it really depends a bit on um, how is the, the globalization of the company? How many countries are you located in? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the also the, the local restrictions? It isn't mm-hmm. possible in every country to set up an nice bank or to perform Pobo it's also not always allowed, like um, some, in some countries, tax payments and salary payments. they must come from a bank account located in that country. So um, giving an answer to the fact whether you have to do it at a regional level or a worldwide level, it's a bit nuanced, let's say, and it really depends uh, case to case, and, and that's why there are, of course, a lot of consultants um, helping on this and working on this, so that whenever you have, a, you have a question about this, that they can always guide you in the right direction. Taking into account the the localization of the company and also, of course, the the tax requirements and so on. Okay, that's um
0: interesting point. Why? I mean, do do you know why would certain countries say, look, if you want to execute salary payments and um, tax payments, it needs to leave from a bank account located in our country? What what would be the rationale behind this? Yeah, it's actually
1: a, a good question. <laughs> so we <would> need to. <laughs>
0: No, perfect. It, it was just out of curiosity um, because why would they uh, probably to keep the cash within the country? That's, that could be a, a reason. It,
1: yeah, indeed. In, in China, it's, it's mainly the reason indeed, to keep cash in the country. Okay. They have a very strict, um, let's say, currency policy. Indeed. And for them, it's yeah, they, they don't like to give away control. So they don't like when money is flowing out in, in of the country and they want to know what is happening. There are, of course, for in-house banks, which... Again, yeah, not really Paul Kobo, but there are um, yeah, cross-border solutions, but that's always a bit more, more technical and complex. But mostly it's indeed that there's a, a tax reason behind it, a currency control behind it. You see, it, it really depends a bit, and you always have to thoroughly investigate why something can be done or if it cannot be done. It can also be um, that you have, let's say, uh, a tax treaty, or um, with the government, you have an agreement on something, and that's why for you it becomes, yeah, more beneficial to be in country A instead of country B. Okay, that's, that's
0: super interesting. Okay, so we could imagine that restriction would be more or less linked at least to the countries where the currency is also restricted. So to, to name a few, you, you had China in mind. I'm thinking about quite some countries in uh, Latin and South America, mm-hmm. those uh, economies where currencies are restricted. And therefore, those types of uh, practices would be less easy to set up or even impossible. Yeah, okay, correct. And that's the perfect transition then. In terms of locations, um, is there any that are preferred by corporates to set up the in-house bank? Uh, well, of course, here focusing on Pobo Kobo, uh, also interested into the in-house bank aspect, but first, where do you
1: want to put your Pobo Kobo center exactly, if it's regional or worldwide? Again, here it depends a bit on where is your, let's say, your company located. First of all, you'll always take a location where you have a, a company. If, let's say, you have uh, subsidiaries or you have your entities in Belgium, the Netherlands, the UK, you'll probably not set it up in Germany unless there would be a significant uh, tax benefit or a reason why you would do it. So it it depends. And then secondly, it also, you look mostly at where is my my treasury team located. A lot of the time, your treasury team is located in a location already for a specific reason. So it makes sense to to check there, uh, is it worthwhile to to keep your, your treasury center there, and to also set up your, let's say your Inas bank, or to start doing your cobbles there. Makes a lot of sense.
0: I guess that would be linked to, yeah, tax and regulations, right? You want to have treasury centers where operations are executed, potentially you centralize certain
1: cash. So that's where you, you would like to focus your treasury centers. Yeah, correct. And also, if your in Inas bank, for example, would make a profit or a loss, you want to see, of course, uh, do I pay taxes on that, yes, and, yes or no, And where is it most beneficial? That's a super interesting point. Does an in-house bank, because I guess the in-house bank is,
0: uh, its main function is to support the business, right? So uh, how would it make
1: benefits exactly? When an in-house bank, it it depends. You have an in-house bank, um, which can have several functions. It can be just purely an in-house bank that is supporting cash pooling, but it's not taking on any fixed risk, any interest rate risk. So, you can push it down basically to your subsidiaries, but you can also make it bigger. And then, uh, yeah, you're coming in a situation where you're saying, like, okay, the Inas Bank will be taking over the exposure from the subsidiaries. And there, mostly, the Inas Bank will get paid for that. So, they will get a, a small margin or the interest on your Inas Bank position might be yeah, increasing a little bit. So, depending on the function of your Inas Bank, it could be that there's a different interest rate. And with that interest rate, it could be that your in-house bank is, uh, let's say, earning a bit of cash. Okay, that's amazing. Even if you are at arm's length, as we, we said earlier, uh, actually, that would be
0: the reason. Because you are at arm's length, you're also meant to make benefits when you lend money to one of the subsidiary, and you will collect the interest. Super yes, super interesting. Is there, is there such a thing as management fees for an in-house bank, or is it, is it not something common?
1: Um, well, I have not seen it a lot. Mostly, it's, it's embedded in, let's say, the the premium that is asked on the Inos bank position. Okay, but I would imagine that it could be needed as a management fee of that. That's super interesting.
0: Okay, so treasurers can actually make money within the company. Ah,
1: huh. are there any
0: substantial cost savings uh, when it comes to pobo kobo? You, you mentioned that you could have, well, you could save on the bank accounts that you don't need to open for certain subsidiaries. What are the more like overview of the quantitative aspects
1: and benefits from having a Pobo-Cobo structure? Yeah, the, the main benefit, of course, will, will lie, as we discussed at the beginning already, in the fact that you have, a, yeah, there's a need for a lot less bank accounts, and you can do a lot of cost saving because you have less accounts. You could do your FX hedging, let's say, at the in bank level. So Euro subsidiaries with US dollar payments, they can all be made by the in bank. And then they can make sure in the market that they're fully hedged against the exposure, for example. So it means that you can get better pricing on your uh, fixed transactions. You don't need, if we talk about six subsidiaries, you don't need six US dollar accounts, or with a euro account, you can just go to your bank and say, I need to make a dollar payment. But then the spread on that will be yeah, very high. And mm-hmm. so it's mainly, yeah, that are the, the main cost savings that you can have thinking about uh Bobo Cobo. Okay. And just think about it. Uh, doing less transactions, you can close a bank account, you don't have to make your fixed rates. If you're a, a large multinational, this amount can yeah, start adding up very quickly. That links to the fact that you need to
0: probably reach a certain size, right, before it becomes interesting. It's because you are centralizing everything that you don't have to open multiple bank accounts and so on. Is there, I mean, should company reach a certain size before the Pobo cobo structure becomes interesting and or profitable in case they will make a little bit of profit? But let's maybe just focus on the what are the requirements in terms of size in the first place to set up a Pobo cobo structure?
1: If you want, you can do it actually at, at any size. Eh? Even a okay. very small entity could do it, but then there will probably be a lot of manual work behind it. Mm-hmm. But you could indeed set up a structure even with, with let's say, uh, 10 entities. But it makes more sense once once you can start leveraging uh, the systems in the backgrounds. Yeah. So once you can start using a, a payment factory, a TMS, um, a large scale ERP system, because that is the point in time that you can start working on a centralized team that is managing all those transactions. And that's when you can start leveraging technology because a technology investment is not always that cheap. It costs a lot of money. So then it becomes interesting to say, okay, I want to put Corbo in place with the automation behind it, especially because if done right, there's a lot of scalability afterwards. If you do a lot of M&A or if you open a lot of new uh, subsidiaries and it's implemented in the right way, it's almost plug and play basically, which okay. saves you a lot of money. And it, it, yeah, it gives also a lot of, let's say, time savings within all the different teams. Okay. You touched upon a very interesting
0: point here, which is the, the team involved because so we, we mostly think about treasury team, obviously, but when it comes to payments and even collections, that, that might be a different team, right? Within the organization, there is definitely an account payable team, probably an account receivables team when there is such a need. So what kind of teams
1: are typically involved and or helps on the Pobokobo setup and maintenance. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You're right. So um, it's not like the treasury team is going to, let's say, book the invoice and then going to pay it. So that, that's not how it works. If you look at, at the, the P2P cycle, an invoice is coming in from a vendor, then the AP team is taking the invoice and it's it's making checks. Say it's starting with, do I have everything I need? Do I have a VAT number on the invoice? Is it to the right company? Is there a PO number, a purchase order linked to it? Was it needed? Yes or no? They will make all those checks. They will then book the invoice internally in their system, probably put it out for approval. And then once approved, it will be the AP team mostly that will initiate the real execution of the payments. But they will say, okay, these are the yeah. payments I need to do for this entity. And then depending on how your system is set up, it could go to a, uh, let's say to yeah, a payment factory or to an ERP system. That is then sometimes if you want to do Pobo, even Automatically recognizing, like, ah, but wait, for this entity, I don't have a bank account in this currency, so please pay from another bank account. But the initiation stage there mostly is done, indeed, by an accounts payable team. Okay, super clear. That makes me think of uh, So
0: we talked about netting on the podcast with uh, with Craig Chapman, and we are looking at intercompany netting mostly. Yeah, I can't. I can't stop myself from thinking. There, there must be something linked here. Um, I guess Kobo will only be for external payments then?
1: Or do you include a netting cycle in that? No, it mostly um, it, it's really for external payments. Okay. As you mentioned, if you have intercompany payments, um, that will mostly happen via indeed a netting module, or it just happens over the, the current account without netting, but just lots of cashless settlements. If you can settle in cash. You could say I need to pay them 1 million euros, but Instead of moving the cash and having to pay for a transaction, you can just say we will settle it cashless and we will put it on the current account position. Okay, the current account that we mentioned before, that keeps position
0: and like uh, a record of what happened between each entity. So there is at least a record somewhere of who owes what uh, and in which quantity. Okay, without entering into too many details, because I think we, we touched upon it, but what are the, the common tax and legal implications of pobo you, you named it. There are some countries where it's simply impossible, um, but will there be some countries where it's possible but absolutely not uh, profitable from a tax perspective? I'm thinking like cash centralization might be an example of that, right? In Latin America, for instance, you can, you can actually concentrate cash and have cash pool structures, but then you will pay a small fee for every sweep, so every uh, fund transfer you will do, so it makes it uh, not profitable and therefore not operable. What are the implications
1: uh, in regards to this for Pobo-Kobo? It's mostly, as you mentioned, it's mostly tax-related. So sometimes tax payments have to be made locally. Or um, there's an example like Japan where it's very complicated due to legal tax restrictions to implement the Pobo. So there you you really have to see like, okay, what are we going to achieve? What is my business case behind the implementation of Pobo in Japan? And is it worthwhile doing it? Similarly, in China, if you want to... in China itself you can yeah put up a cash pool, that's no problem. But if you wanna repatriate the money to let's say uh, the US or or a different continent, it becomes a lot more complex. There are a lot of rules behind it. Okay. You can do a cross-border cash pooling there. I'm not even talking about Pobo Kobo here, but just about just getting cash in and out of the country. So there there are with free trade zones, there are some yeah, some solutions, but there are strict rules behind it, which you need to, to take into account. So every time you want to implement a Pobo Kobo or a cash pool, um, especially in uh, Asia and in Latin, indeed, it's it's very important to to make your business case and to check, is it worthwhile, yes or no. In Europe and the US, yeah, you see it as a consultant probably a lot as well. The the market there is relatively flexible. Pobo Kobo, mm-hmm. it's getting yeah, more and more accepted and done, especially by the, the larger corporates because there is a real benefit behind it. But if you go to to LATAM and and uh, Asia, you really need to make your business case to see, okay, what is the benefit of implementing PBOC for my entities that are located in uh, in Asia and LATAM? Makes a lot of sense. And so, if we,
0: maybe if we detach ourselves from the third parties that are the governments uh, that will well impose those regulation and tax, obviously, I'm wondering if there is any implications uh, from a third party standpoint. Mm-hmm. When I don't know, I I want to collect money from the corporate that has a cobo structure in place, I will expect probably a payment from a bank account in my own country, uh, where the one I operate in, but then a payment from one of the treasury centers that is set up completely offshore or abroad. How does it work there? Is there
1: any concern or things to keep in mind as a third party? Um. Mostly, what you do when you have, uh, let's say, a new relationship with, uh, with a new client, yeah. you exchange information between each other already upfront. This is more, let's say, yeah, more what accounting is doing in your ERP system as well. But you, you set up in the master data of all your different systems, which can be an ERP, it can be a DMS, and so on and so on. You set up the clients. And at that point in time, if um, you need to pay the money, they will, ask for, they will ask you, okay, what is the bank account that you will use? And where will the money come from? Okay. And that, that way they, they know basically when they set up in their systems, they will set up you as a client. They know, okay, they gave us this account information because most of the time as well, they will ask for an account detail signed by the bank. So basically, can you give the evidence that the bank account is in name of the entity? And at that point in time, you will have to say like, okay, but my entity is called ABC. But mm-hmm. the bank account I will use will be DEF. So at that right. point in time, you will already disclose that you will be using a, a different bank account.
0: Okay. And from your from your experience, that's not something that triggers, um, that maybe that's not the correct word, but like puzzles. Uh, the, the clients are like, okay, but what is happening here? Because, I mean, anti-money laundering and like uh, frauds combats, whatsoever is, is quite a concern for a lot of uh, corporations those days. So does does that not raise questions when like okay you're gonna pay me from DEF whilst I'm dealing with ABC or is that completely seamless once you've done the due diligence and you explain the whole
1: process from your experience? Yep, it should be relatively seamless at that point in time. Of course, if you you start using uh, bank accounts like from Cuba or Iran, it's a, bit <laughs> of a different story. But even the bank, you will be executing the payment through. They will already say like okay, what's going on here. But okay. normally in uh, let's say in Europe and in the US, this uh, yeah, it's not a real big issue. Okay, super clear.
0: You you mentioned it for Japan. Um, in regards, to what's key is the the setup, like how to probably install the cobo st- structure, how does that even work in the first place? Because you mentioned. TMS that is linked to the ERP. You usually need a payment factory, which uh, for our audience, the, the term we sometimes use on the podcast is the payment hub. So it's a, an additional software to the to the TMS that makes the link between the treasury department and the banks. Usually, it's uh, it's one of the tools that is in the bank connectivity. But so how do you set up all this? If you say, okay, I'm a big corporate, now, it's definitely worthwhile. Um, I've made my business case, and we need Pobo Kobo to achieve significant savings and also operational efficiencies and so on. How do you technically do that?
1: Let's yeah, there are real complex ways to do it, but maybe to, to simplify it a little bit. Yeah. Mostly you have in your, your payment hub, as you call it, you have some sort of trigger or a rule that is recognizing that you're doing a poll. So it's, first of all, you have your, your technical system that you're building. And whenever your business case is made, you will need to identify saying, okay, for these entities, I will apply these rules so that the system knows automatically it has to use a diff- different bank account for a payment, for example. And I'm sure that there are people here, there are people listening, implementing uh, payment hubs and payment factories that can give a lot more detail about it. But mainly it's based upon rules where you say like, okay, this entity needs to make a payment. And based on the rule, it will identify if an uh, yeah their own bank account will be used or if another bank account has to be used. Can it be that's, you set up a rule
0: for an entity, but you set it up only for certain payments. You say, okay, we're going to execute Pobo, so payment on behalf of, from the header for this entity, not for all the payments. Or once you set up the rule, it's for all payments,
1: regardless of what goes out, or how does it work Yeah. No, no, you're right. You could say um, mostly different type of, types of payments are being recognized as well in the system. And so you can indicate whether it's a, an urgent payment, a non-urgent payment. Um, if it's in the UK, for example, a tax payment, there are a lot of different types of payments and you can identify them. Like payroll is also yeah, clearly identified, tax is mostly identified, urgent payments are identified. So based on that, you could build a rule that is saying if it's this type of payments, then indeed execute via approval. But if it's a salary payment for, let's say, tax and legal reasons, I need my own bank account, then just use your own bank account. Okay, sorry. And so what are the the next steps
0: when you want to so once you've set up the rule, what are the next steps in order to set up properly the pobo cobo structure?
1: Yeah, in uh, in the next steps, first of all, you will need some sort of in-house bank account or some sort of setup to be able to yeah, to keep track of the pobo cobo positions between the corporate and the subsidiary you're making the payments for or you're receiving the payments for. So, yeah, we can go very technical here how how it's done in in specific PMS systems. But mostly it's just, again, in the system, a rule that is recognizing the bubble, even from the bank statement, for example, which is immediately saying based on those rules like, okay, I know that this payment is done for entity ABC, put it on the current account of ABC. And then behind that current account, there will be probably an, uh, an accounting setup, which is saying, make entry debit one, two, three, credit four, five, six, so that it can be interfaced towards a um, ERP system. And of course, in an INAS bank, the setup goes a bit further because you can have yeah, interest settlements. So you can do monthly, quarterly. What is the interest? Is it a uh, URI board plus a margin? Is it uh, something else? All that kind of stuff can, of course, be completely customized and set up exactly to the purpose of the, the corpus. You would have
0: potentially interest payments. Mm, what if? Can this current account, based on the Pobo Kobo structure, so I know about transforming a current account into long-term loan because it's been so long that within the cash pool structure, one entity was borrowing more than it was lending, so it turns into a long-term loan. Can this happen also the Pobo Kobo structure, or do you just settle the current account automatically?
1: Um, no, no, it also, again, depends here on uh, how the setup is done. Okay. And Bobo Corbo will create the intercompany positions, but if indeed at a given point in time, and that's again a, a tax discussion that you need to have, you're seeing that your injury is having a yeah a borrowing position of over X amount for X amount of time, you could decide to, to convert that current account position indeed into a more long-term uh, position. And that's an important difference where you pay interest on your INAS bank, but there's a difference between the short term that you would do, the short term borrowing, or when you would really have a, a long-term structural borrowing position towards the INAS bank entity. In that case, there are different arm's length principles because different benchmarks should be used. And in that case, yeah, you have to use different, uh, different interest rates. And for that, it should be normally in your treasury policies around the INAS bank, including the Pobo-Cobo structure. There should be a policy to to review these positions on a, a regular basis. Absolutely.
0: Could you have could you have also, I mean, integrated in all this the, the cash pool and the cash centralization structure? Because one entity keeps on paying on behalf of the other but do not collect, for instance. So we just have Pobo, not Kobo. Well, one company will be short of cash at, at some point in time, right? So mm-hmm. but that will be not so much the case anymore if the collections of this entity also goes to the header because I guess it would be the same entity, right? That you set up the same entity would execute the payment on behalf of the subsidiaries and would also be the cash centralizator of a cash pool structure. Or am I completely misunderstanding here?
1: No, no, that's right. You could indeed um, say that you're making all your, your payments out of that, uh, that central bank account. Also, the collections for that same subsidiary yeah. could arrive on a It doesn't have to be the exact same account, but it could arrive on an account held by the Inos Bank. But it doesn't matter if you're paying from account A and receiving on account B, both in the hands of the Inos Bank header, you Mm -hmm. can put it on the same current account if you want. So paying 100, receiving 80 would give you a position of 20. I have a bit of a stupid question, but so let's say you set up Pobo-Kobo, you
0: set up a cash centralization structure. In, uh, in a country where you have very little tax or legal implications around this, as a subsidiary that is involved in this both those processes, allah, those three processes, Kobo, Kobo, cash centralization, mm-hmm. you even still need a bank account then because if you have everything sorted
1: out for you at the central level. Uh, can it be? Well, mostly um, every legal entity requires a bank account in its own country just to be able to basically set up the the entity Excellent. so I see the idea where you're going and yeah technically speaking if you if you look at it it could be that you barely use the bank account but mm-hmm. there will always be um, a bank account linked to to each legal entity I, I tried
0: to go uh, to the extra mile in terms of uh, like you know quantitative savings and optimization but it seems that I'm, I'm restrained by the tax and re- legal regulations but sir okay Moving going back to the to the setup so we quickly touched upon the different um, software and technology that is required behind a, a, a pobo Kobo structure. But So maybe just to summarize, um, you will need obviously TMS, so a treasury management system that would enable you to set up the in-house bank in the first place, right? The pobo Kobo structure is part of the in-house bank. Mm-hmm. You need the ERP where you will have all the accounting entries, which means you want to have a proper recording of all the accounting statements and what is happening accounting-wise for the centralizator, sorry, the header and the subsidiaries participating into a proper structure. And last but not least, you have the payment factory, so the payment hub to actually send the payments, right? And actually in payments, uh, in files, batch payments, because you can centralize this as well. Is my summary correct so far? Yep, that's correct. Awesome. Anything else you need to, I don't know, can you have like additional third-party systems or vendors that could, well, enhance the whole structure or that could circumvent the need of a TMS or a payment factory for smaller structures?
1: I don't know. Is there, is there such a thing? Yes. Yeah, you, you don't have to do it in-house. You can also do it, um, certain banks offer as well, Pobo cobo solutions with virtual accounts where... They are, in your name, actually keeping track of all the positions and uh, making sure all the payments are executed in the correct way.
0: Awesome. Okay, so you have, I know of BMG who does uh, the netting process, for instance, but you have also banks that could do a Pobo cobo structure.
1: Okay. You have to take into account that they can do the, let's say, the the netting if needed, they can do the Pobo cobo they can keep track of the accounts, which you can always access one are the positions, mm-hmm. but the accounting behind it will mostly need to be done by yourself.
0: Okay, plus you might lose certain benefits of the provocable structure in the first place because that is having it in-house and not leveraging any banks or minimizing the fees and so on. Yeah, but that's a solution. Okay, okay. well, I was going to ask what's the rule of external banks when it comes to provocable, but I guess one of them could be, well, we do the provocable for you. What else? Because you have your in-house bank, you have your current accounts where most of the magic happens, but then you still need to, well, send a payment from a real bank
1: account right any yeah. other implications for external banks no i think that that's the main point where you mentioned it. whatever you do you'll always need a bank or an external bank because you're going to execute your payments and the bank is a part of executing payments basically okay. so uh, there's no way around that you'll always have to to do it
0: yeah and i guess you have the fx rates or like the exchange rate when you need to convert currencies in case you have a bank account on behalf of an entity but you don't have the denominated currency or certain currency that you need to potentially do a, a spot. Super clear. I'm a bit curious um, which try, we do time to get uh, more and more fintechs and emerging technologies and innovations uh, talked on the podcast. Is there any new digital solution or emerging technologies that can further develop Pobo or are we at the Submits the state of the art in terms of Bobo already. What
1: what's your view on that? No, no. I think there's still, uh, let's say, a lot of room for fintechs to uh, to provide and to develop solutions for all types of different corporates. It, it's a bit like in the in the TMS world as well. Mm. Different vendors, um, different let's say advantages and disadvantages, and also different sizes. Not every company fits with a with a certain TMS, and it would be the same with the fintechs. Eh? They most likely, well, not most likely, but actually most of the time. A lot of these uh, index, they're really focusing on specific market, a niche market, for example, like looking at trade finance, um, looking at fixed trading, and that kind of stuff. So there, I think there is still some room there to yeah, to facilitate the process and to make it more standardised. If you look at at a big TMS system, the whole setup it takes a bit of time, and it needs to be well incorporated with your banks, with your ERP systems, with your payment hubs. But on the, the fintech side there, I think, especially for not the huge multinationals, but for the, the companies right below that, there could be indeed uh, a room for fintechs that are yeah, providing a more plug and play solution for corporates that are not looking at, the, at a full developed Inas Bank yet. Okay. So somehow uh, a
0: third party that will arrive and just set it all up you and uh, takes on the whole implementation if there is any and plug and play as you say rather than having a whole team of consultants or even some sources within your company that needs to set up the whole thing program the proper interfaces and make sure everything is working or the other possibility is the, the bank that does it on your behalf but you want potentially
1: to have something in-house yourself you have to look at uh, what is the advantage for your corporate and uh what can fintechs in the market what can they offer you as a corporate? and most of the times a the fintech they could have let's say it's it's a more structured and standardized procedure so probably less room for customization but mm-hmm. that could also be a benefit not not everybody needs a super complex uh, setup to perform pobo pobo exactly. in uh, in their corporates okay and i guess well, it's it's a little bit less linked
0: to pobo per se but uh, you also have these real time payments that now it's a thing, right, um, this payment tracking solution, I think Swift is uh, is working on the GPI, well, actually it's it's live and and working already, but not all the banks are connected to this specific solution. But I guess anything that enables faster payments, uh, faster reporting, um, payment tracking, and so on, is also something that's indirectly um,
1: help developing Pubo or at least enhance it, right. Yeah, I think if you look at the, the key drivers, indeed, what helped um, developing the, the Pobo Kobo marketplace, let's say, mm-hmm. it's, it's first of all, the globalization. So there's a, a lot more, yeah, especially corporates are getting a lot more um, suppliers and, and customers in a wide variety of locations. So probably you need in all those locations, you need a legal entity, but you don't want the bank accounts for every currency in, in all those locations. So I think globalization is, is a key driver. Secondly, it's the importance of liquidity. So, especially in, let's say the, the current markets, people and, and companies are really starting to understand how liquidity works and why it is so important. And here it goes hand in hand with the fact that also treasury is being more and more acknowledged as a, a really important function within a within company. Mm. Previously, treasury, yeah, we were put a bit, let's say. In just generally in the finance team behind uh, the accounting team and nobody actually knew, hey, uh, the title is treasurer, What what, what is he doing actually? Yep. But now it's becoming more and more important and it's getting, it's more individual position or place next to the finance department. So everybody yeah understands the importance now of, of cash and liquidity. And I think that's, that's helping yeah a lot as well, eh? because liquidity and cash is being managed a lot more closely. So people are also looking at those opportunities to optimize that and to get cost savings and that's where then Pobo Kobo comes in because it makes it a lot easier you can get savings like uh, less bank accounts cost reduction in imp- cash visibility better risk management centralization of control all that kind of stuff so it's yeah that's one of the, the key drivers in my opinion as well why now Pobo Kobo is becoming more and more let's say standardized in the markets that's that's super funny that you mentioned this, but I couldn't be more true. We had
0: um, recently an episode with the, the thought leadership of TIS. We were discussing the, the strategic role of uh, the corporate treasury function and the corporate treasurer as a as a role. And it's super interesting to see that yeah. So first of all, cash is king, and uh, actually, who is managing the cash? Nobody in the most efficient way. Well, it's in the corporate treasury department. We are we had this talk about the data around cash flow forecasting, especially. In a period like 2023 or in the the, the COVID phase, right? you want to know where your cash is, when it will come in, when it will go out. And with the evolution of technology, you want to have access to this data because it allows you better decision-making. And with the very recent of the Silicon Valley Bank, for instance, we have, again, this whole risk management and financial risk management function that is becoming more and more strategic, um, having a proper look at counterparty risk management Uh, wallet sharing. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. Well, I have to say Treasury is trendy, right? Uh, lucky us because we have a corporate Treasury 101 podcast, but (laughs) couldn't, couldn't agree
1: more.